St. Louis County Councilman Ernie Trakis was elected narrowly in 2014 to represent most of unincorporated South St. Louis County on the county council. And now he's running for another four-year term against Democratic State Representative Bob Burns. Trakis joined St. Louis Public Radio's Rachel Lippman and I to talk about his record on the council and why he deserves another four years in office. Both Rachel and I were wearing masks during the interview. Without further ado, let's hit the music. This is the Politically Speaking podcast, the definitive show about Missouri politics. It's a little complicated in Bolivar because there is a Parsons family there. But we also knew that it was important to make sure that that we got to where we needed to go. You know if you walk in a room and you're getting ready to make a decision and everybody in the room looks like you, you need to stop. And right now what happens in the United States Senate is as critical as anywhere else in the country. I really want the state to succeed. We want everybody to uh, know that we're all working together. I just worked hard to try to build my name where I didn't have the money. And welcome to Politically Speaking. I'm your host, St. Louis Public Radio political correspondent, Jason Rosenbaum. Joining me is my co-host for today. Rachel Lippman, one of the other politics reporters. And joining us the 6th District Councilman for St. Louis County. Ernie Trakis. Welcome back to the show. We had you on relatively recently, but we wanted to bring you back because we had your Democratic opponent, Bob Burns, on. And some of the issues we talked about earlier this summer have changed dramatically. And this is going to be more of an, uh, an election-centric show than the last one. So I want to ask you, you're running for your second four-year term. Why do you believe you should get another term on the county council? Uh, you know, without trying to sound... Uh... Um, out, out of turn, I, I think my record speaks for itself. Um, I was asked to chair an ethics committee, and I did. That ethics committee um, assisted in and ultimately contributed significantly in the uh, um, removal of a corrupt administration. Um, that alone, arguably, is, uh, should be um, significant in terms of considering whether or not I'm entitled to another term. But beyond that, uh, I have, even before that, was first amongst my Republican colleagues to reach across the aisle and try to work with my Democratic um, colleagues. Uh, initially, um, to get the uh, minority and women's uh, business enterprise legislation passed. And to her credit, uh, Councilman Irby at the time asked me to essentially try to mediate the differences between the two sides. I was able to do that successfully, and we got that legislation passed. Um, and so uh, I think I've also probably been the most effective council person with respect to problem property units in the county. Now, granted, District 6 is the largest unincorporated district in the county. So the only voice that people have effectively with respect to what goes on in the district is me. I take that very seriously. And so myself and my office have been involved in problem properties unit discussions from the outset. And the results speak for themselves. Um, we've done incredible work in terms of uh, addressing properties that need to be cleaned up, properties that need to be torn down, properties that have illicit activity going on in them. And I'm very proud of our record there in terms of cleaning up um, all parts of District, District 6, but primarily and especially in Lima. In addition to that, I think my record with respect to quality development um, is second to none. 
when you look at the type of developments that have come into District 6 in the last four years, not the least of which um, a uh, extension of Barnes Jewish Christians Pediatric um, Center, uh, uh, the same uh, pediatric um, center uh, type of operation for um, Mercy Hospital, um, all sorts of quality retail development, whether it's uh, Sentinel um, Emergency Headquarters, um, Flooring System Headquarters. Now, this is all new construction, by the way. Um, Afton Plaza, Nine Mile Garden, Rosalita's Cantina, um, several motels. So I, I think I could go on, um, probably close to a half a dozen single-family home developments or subdivisions. So the idea that um, I'm not in favor of development is, is a false narrative. You mentioned specifically ethics and sort of the oversight role that that committee had mm -hmm. in terms of uh, Mr. Stanger's behavior. Um, you've taken a lot of heat recently for votes against legislation sort of dealing with council oversight and control of states of emergencies mm -hmm. and public health departments. How are you answering your critics who say, you know, you just kind of found an excuse and don't act actually want the oversight role that your Republican colleagues do? Um, thanks for asking that question, Rachel, because it's a great question. Um, and let me preface it by telling you that no one, no one is probably more concerned and wants to rein in the executive emergency authority of the county executive and the director of, part of, of public health, Department of Public Health. But if we're going to do it, it has to meet two criteria. One, it has to be legal, and two, it has to be enforceable. And my disagreement with my Republican colleagues was that the legislation that they had originally offered, the two sub-bills, uh, in, uh, to replace, I believe it was bills number 175 and 176, had clear legal issues throughout them, not the least of which was that they were amending or, or substituting for bills that originally called for charter amendments. And the, the law is pretty clear on that, that any substitute bill has to be germane to the express and intended purpose of the original bill. The intended purpose of 175 and 176 was charter amendments. That wasn't the intended purpose of the sub-bills. So there were legal issues with that. Second, there's a question as to whether or not the council can impose supermajority votes on anything other than that expressly stated in the charter, and that's two areas. One is to override a um, decision by the Planning and Zoning Commission, and the other is to pass emergency ordinances. So if those bills had passed, for sure, you're going to be facing a legal challenge in the, in the sense that even if they weren't vetoed for those reasons I've just stated, um, there's a question as to whether or not the county counselor's office would enforce them, which would then come back to the council to make a decision to hire outside counsel, file a court action, and have a court decide whether or not the council's ordinances were legal. So those were the, the reasons for my reluctance. I'm not opposed to reining in um, what I consider to be, at this point, an abuse of, of authority. But if we're going to do it, let's do it in a way that we have every reason to expect that we've got an enforceable ordinance. There's another bill that's been proposed by Councilwoman Rita Days to basically claw back County Executive Sam Page's spending authority on the CARES Act money, which we talked about at length on the last show. What do you think of that proposal? Would you be in favor of basically reversing course to what happened earlier. Again, I'm in favor of the idea of the council retaining or recovering its authority over what amounts to essentially still a vast majority of the CARES Act money. That's why I was probably the most aggressive voice at the time 
urging my colleagues not to appropriate all $173.5 million at one time. Obviously, the, uh, my Democratic colleagues decided to do otherwise. But that being said now, the question becomes, is a legislative body able to claw back, to use your term, money that it's already appropriated? And I'm not sure of the answer to that. I think there are legal questions concerning the uh, validity of doing so. So um, I'm curious to see what the county counselor's office opinion will be, but there are concerns there as well. I mean, that's why I was so adamant at the time. I even offered a sub-bill, you might remember, that would have given the county executive at the time $40 million to start with, which I think to this point, he still hasn't spent that much. But the council would have retained about $130 million where the, count, the county executive would have had to come back and seek in, in incremental appropriations for it. That's the way to do it. That's, that's how legislative bodies work. And point of fact, in St. Louis County, that's probably the one significant authority the council has. And we fettered it away. There is sort of a more general question too here about the you know the council's role and oversight of the county executive and of, of county government and there's been a draft state audit reported on that basically says the council contributed in part to Stinger's misdeeds by failing to exercise its oversight. Is the council doing enough with the powers it has and what other powers do you think it needs to sort of strengthen its oversight if it does? It's another great question. I think for starters that's one of my been my my big complaints about the charter generally is that it is clearly executive-centric, way too much so, and not by accident. I'm, I'm confident by design at the time, and times have changed. And now we need a charter that is more balanced and, and does create essentially a true separation of powers. I was hopeful that the Charter Commission would get to that this past year. It didn't, and we're left with the status quo. So. The council has to assert itself in every way possible to maintain oversight over the county executive um, and, and sometimes push the envelope. And that's what the council did in, in 17 and 18. It was a different council then with different players. And like any other team, chemistry matters. And when the council was comprised of Colleen Wassinger, Mark Harder, myself, um, Councilwoman uh, Hazel Irby, um, Rochelle Walton Gray, um, Sam Page. Um, there was a chemistry there that evolved. Yeah, and Pat Dolan. There was a chemistry that evolved over time. And, um, and very often people would put party aside and concentrate on people. And, and that's what generated that investigation. That's what generated the, the significant oversight. But once you remove players from any team, the chemistry changes. I want to follow up on the question about the state audit, because you've yeah. been very critical of Auditor Galloway on that point. Yeah. And some of Auditor Galloway's defenders are saying, well, the council had a majority of Stenger antagonists in 2017 and 2018. Why didn't you all vote to bring her in then to audit Stenger's administration? I'd like you to respond to that. Well, um, that's, a, that's a great question. And the best I can recollect with respect to that is we were so focused on conducting our oversight. And to be honest with you, and you could ask Dr. Page about this, um, he may have a different take, but my, my recollection was that there were overtures made to by him at the time as chairman of the council to the auditor's office. And, and I mentioned that in my letter back to her, you might recall, that there was a, a clear reluctance to pursue any uh, um, audit of the county executive by the, the uh, 
auditor's office at the time, the, the state auditor's office. Now, I don't know the, the, the reasons or wherefores for that. The other thing was, as my recollection is, we never got a clear picture of how much this was going to cost the county. And that was um, another huge deal. You gotta remember, we're in the middle of Northwest Plaza, $20 million, arguably, that was committed unnecessarily. And so, and then at the same time, a budget that we cut two years in a row by over $30 million each year compared to what the then uh, county executive was asking for. So money was a consideration too. On the topic of money, um, we know that COVID-19 is going to hit the budget. It's just a question of yeah. by how much. What do you think should be cut and what should be left alone or preserved? Well, obviously, Rachel, you're right. Um, the budget is going to suffer significantly. And to put it in context for your listeners, the reality is we were already in the red before COVID by about $5 million to $10 million, meaning that our expenses exceeded our revenue. Even with the, the, the two years in a row of $30 million cuts by the council compared to what the county executive had asked for. So we, we were facing significant challenges in terms of the budget already. Now, with what's going to be arguably somewhere in the neighborhood of a 10 to 15%, I believe, shortfall in revenue, it's, um, it's time for the council and the county executive to focus on where we can find savings and efficiencies in county government. Uh, and once we've exhausted that, then take a hard look at what reluctantly has to be cut in terms of programs, services, uh, what have you. That said, obviously, from my perspective, uh, because of a public safety concern, the, uh, the last thing that I would recommend any uh, cuts to is, is the uh, police department budget. I believe it should be funded at uh, the level it was funded at for 2020, um, going forward for at least um, two or three years. Do you have savings and efficiencies in mind that you would want to suggest or have the council, uh, county executive page, et cetera, consider? Well, I think um, we have to look at staffing. Um, we have to look at programs that, and how well-accessed or well-utilized programs are. And if those programs um, can be folded into other um, programs or services that, that an agency offers, we need to look hard at that. And um, regrettably, that may well mean some furloughs. Um, these are going to be difficult times and hard decisions have to be made. And I know that's not an uh, um, easy topic to bring up, and I don't do it lightly. But at the same time, I think we have to, all of us, be aware of the reality we're facing. Why shouldn't the police department be cut if other county departments are going to face furloughs or are you know, staffing reductions? Another great question. And um, what I'll tell you is this, Jason. Um, no, no civil ordered society can exist outside the rule of law. And a government, whether it's the national government or a local government like the counties, their primary responsibility is to provide for the public safety and security of its citizens. And um, as we've seen, most notably in the city, but also in other cities around the country. The uh, defund the police movement has sparked a, uh, a cause that has all too often degenerated into rioting and looting. Uh, and the idea that we're going to reduce um, the ability to maintain an effective, well-trained law enforcement 
uh, ability invites that type of criminal activity, which I, I, I'm confident no one in St. Louis County wants. So the, the maintenance of, of the rule of law as it protects an ordered society is, is essential. And so that's where I'm coming from with respect to my concern about reducing the police budget. So I've covered St. Louis County on and off for nine years. And a reoccurring theme I've seen, especially after Michael Brown's death, is a palpable lack of trust between black people in St. Louis County and law enforcement agencies, mm -hmm. particularly the St. Louis County Police Department. An example that I often bring up is when I was covering the Ferguson City Council races in 2015, not a single candidate wanted the county police to patrol Ferguson. And that ran the gamut from protest candidates to non-protest candidates. I understand that the sixth district is overwhelmingly white, but you're still have to be part of the solution here. How do you bridge this trust? And what are you gonna do to help? And don't misunderstand my, my support for the um, funding the police mm -hmm. with a lack of concern for or a lack of understanding that there are elements in every entity that are bad apples. And we have to address that and remove bad apples before they ruin the, uh, the rest. Um, so clearly um, continued and, and appropriate and significant training with respect to community policing is essential. Uh, and I believe Chief Barton will do that. Um, I think uh, nuances and, and fixes with respect to discipline could be uh, at least considered by the police commission in terms of how to deal with um, incidences where we have violations by a uh, law enforcement officer of uh, any of their internal rules or uh, um, overreaction with respect to use of force. So I think obviously we're not going to ignore that piece of it, but again, the only way that piece of it happens is if we fully fund them. If, if, we, if we cut too much, then training may go by the wayside. And so we're, we're essentially exacerbating our problem. We'll be right back after this quick break with St. Louis County Councilman Ernie Trakis. And we're back on Politically Speaking with St. Louis County Councilman Ernie Trakis. Um, I want to move on to, you mentioned development a little bit in your opening remarks. Yes. And it is very clear that whoever is the 6th District Councilman has kind of an oversized role in development in this district just because so much is unincorporated. Yes. Now, I'm sure you, I, I'm assuming you heard your opponent's podcast where he basically accused you of being anti-development. Mm -hmm. I think you have a, I think you deserve a chance to respond to that because I'm sure that's going to be one of the sharp elbows thrown at you over the next mm -hmm. couple of months. Sharp elbows or not, they have to hit. And uh, with all due respect to Mr. Burns, um, he's propagating a false narrative. The record speaks for itself. As I've told you, probably somewhere between five and six single-family home subdivisions since my tenure started. Um, Sentinel Emergency Services headquarters, flooring source, um, brand new headquarters constructed, Barnes Jewish Christian um, Pediatric Center in, uh, in South County, uh, a Mercy Children's Hospital in District 6, uh, Afton Plaza, Nine Mile Garden, Rosalita's Cantina, uh, two new hotels. So the only real um, complaint, if it is, that anybody has is that I take long, hard looks at two things, apartments and storage facilities. And the reason for that is District 6 has more than its fair share of both. And the reason it has more than its fair share of both is because there's been a litany of councilmen 
who don't want to get their hands dirty in dealing with zoning matters. That's not me. As the planning department will tell you, I'm hands-on in every piece of zoning that comes through uh, District 6. Where is the sharpest distinction between you and your opponent, Mr. Burns? Well, I don't know him that well, but I would say um, for me, and you could poll the constituents that I've dealt with, number one, I'm responsive to constituents. Number two, I get results. And my record speaks for itself, whether it's legislation I've pushed through the council, whether it's vaping protection for St. Louis youth, whether it's um, making sure that storage facilities are at least a mile apart, whether it's making sure that marijuana dispensaries are at least a thousand feet from uh, churches, schools and daycares, I could go on. And so uh, um, I think I've got a record I'm proud of in terms of the legislation I've gotten through and I think that my constituents know that if they have a problem and they call my office, the chances are, number one, they know they're going to get a call back. Number two, the problem will be dealt with more often than not to their satisfaction. Even though Representative Burns did not bring it up on this show, I do want to talk about the harassment mm -hmm. allegation against you because it might be brought up during the campaign. Sure. And I think you deserve a chance to respond to it. Okay. Um, first of all, you were accused by your former staff member of sexual harassment. And there was a settlement that was made by the county, which I just want to make clear to our listeners, you can't talk about legally. Is that correct? That's correct. But I do want you to respond to people that are going to say you're a sexual harasser and you shouldn't be in office anymore. I think you deserve a chance to respond to that because I would not be surprised if that's part of this campaign. Well, my response is going to be the same response I gave to the Post-Dispatch when this first um, reared its head, is that um, there's absolutely no truth to the allegations. I denied them categorically then. I deny them categorically now. Just as importantly, a well-respected, highly respected independent law firm conducted an investigation, interviewed numerous witnesses or individuals that would have had knowledge. Not a one, not one could corroborate any of the allegations against me with respect to harassment. Now, what they did find is that sometimes I speak bluntly, okay? I, I, and I've worked on that because their recommendation was I spoke harshly regardless of gender, right? And there's no question, I admit that I'm a hard charger. And when I'm passionate about something, I'm passionate about it. So I've worked on that, but the idea that I sexually harassed anybody, absolutely false, and there's not one shred of evidence to support it. You've been incredibly firm in your denials, both here and elsewhere, of um, those specific allegations. To the issue of paying the settlement, should that have been something that you did out of your own insurance or was it, or, you know, your own finances, or was it appropriate for it to come from taxpayer money? Well, I mean, the only thing I can say about that is the decision to settle that claim, or the county's decision to settle that claim, was just that, the county's decision. So, and that's you know, what I can say about it. So I want to get to a more global criticism of you from even Republicans, that you are too close with St. Louis County Executive Sam Page, and you're not going to be as independent-minded as your opponent. Because on the last, on the, on his show, he said he's not going to be a rubber stamp for Sam Page. I, I want you to respond to that contention because this is a 50-50 district. There are a lot of Republicans in this district, and they may not be happy with some of your decisions to side with the county executive. How, how would you respond to that? Well, first off, um, I disagree with Sam Page on many things. The difference with me and some of my colleagues is I don't do it in a disagreeable way, all right? Um, 
on today's, tomorrow's agenda, two bills um, to significantly encroach on his authority on these emergency orders, both introduced by me to fix the legal infirmities in the two that were originally offered by Councilman Harder and Fitch that we've talked about. And by the way, we were recording this on September 28th. This show may be posted after the Tuesday meeting, but they're not going to be finally passed by the time this show is, is done. But continue. But, but so um, the idea that um, I'm a rubber stamp for anybody is laughable because anybody that knows me knows that I'm my own person. I'm going to do what's right every time. So, and, and to, to quote John Kennedy, I'm not going to make the Republican choice. I'm not going to make the Democratic choice. I'm going to make the right choice as God gives me the eyes to see it. So this idea that somehow um, I'm a rubber stamp for Paige, like I said, is nowhere near close to true. It's almost laughable. Now, we agree on some things. We disagree on other things. And um, so, again, that's just campaign rhetoric, so Bob Burns has something to point to. But th my record speaks for itself. I voted against Sam Page. I was the most outspoken critic of giving him all $173 million of CARES Act money. If I was such um, a rubber stamp, I would have signed off on that. At a sort of more global level when it comes to that question, should county races even be partisan? No, I'll grant you that. That's another thing that I was hoping would have come out of the Charter Commission and didn't. And Colleen Wassinger tried hard for it. I know I lobbied for it. And um, it would be a huge plus for the citizens of St. Louis County if we could have nonpartisan and even maybe ranked voting, if you know what I mean by that. And so it would, first off, I think, entice a, a higher number of qualified candidates to run. Um, we'd get a much more varied array of voices and uh, the citizens would have options. So I'm a big proponent of that, really, all the way up through the national elections. I'm going to ask a question that might get you in trouble. <laughs> it's a question about pay for county. I believe you get paid $20,000 a yes. year, right? Yes. And from the outside looking in, it's kind of ridiculous that a council person that represents 150,000 people gets paid $20,000, but a Boone County commissioner who represents maybe 40 gets paid like 90. Yeah. Is it time to reconsider like the low pay for these positions and maybe make this a full-time job. And I know you saying yes could like end your career because nobody likes it when someone says, oh, I want to raise my own salary. But I'm kind of seeing some of the deficiencies of this system where you absolutely have to have another job in order to have this position. I'm on, I'm on record. And by that, I mean, I testified before the, the uh, Charter Commission on this very topic. And my point is that yes, it should be a full-time position and it should pay full-time compensation. And the reason I say that is, I can tell you without reservation, most weeks I spend at least 40 hours, sometimes well more than that, doing the job here. I have no regrets, don't misunderstand me. But my point is, if it was a position that was by charter required that you devote your full time and attention to, which means no other jobs, I think you would see younger candidates, I think you would see more motivated and higher qualified candidates that are interested in the position. Um, but how can a young mother who um, wants to be involved and wants to run for office um, and say, I'm going to leave my $75,000 a year job to do this? It's not going to happen. So I, I'm all for that, not because I want to benefit, but because I think it will generate a higher quality of candidate um, who will be willing to devote their full time and attention 
and this job requires it. And again, it's the only way you're going to counterbalance a, a, a charter that's executive-centric. You've mentioned the Charter Commission a lot, and that's already completed its work. There is the possibility, potential out there, maybe, that the Board of Freeholders could start looking at something. Um, would they be able to accomplish this? Should they start doing their work and looking at, at any of these issues? Well, the last, I, I, I've not, not heard from the Board of Freeholders in so long. I'm not even sure that they're still uh, operating, frankly. And um, I, I don't know that, uh, uh, that there's a vehicle for them to do it other than perhaps petition. Um, now, if we, we could obviously introduce ballot measures from the council if we had the votes. And that's always hard to do because you have some members that are vested in the system as it is, meaning the party system. And uh, I think nonpartisan voting, um, whether it's um, or raising salaries uh, and, and requiring council members to be full-time and attention jobs, um, might be hard to do, might be hard to do. So let's say you do prevail. Mm -hmm. I, I am foreseeing a very rough two years between the council and the county executive. And this gets a little wonky, mm -hmm. so, but I want, my, I want the listeners to understand what I'm saying here. With Rochelle Walton Gray losing and being replaced by somebody who has no allegiance to Sam Page whatsoever, mm -hmm. as well as the fact that Councilwoman Days is becoming more aggressively against the county executive, mm -hmm. coupled with the fact that there are two Republicans, Harder and Fitch, that uh, don't really care for Page right now, and the fact that you yourself have mentioned that you're not a sure vote either, it doesn't really seem like Page has a stable coalition of votes to do much of anything after 2021. How, what is that going to mean for county government? Are we in for like Stanger Redux where the council and the county executive fight all the time for two years? I look at it as an opportunity. And by say that, an opportunity for the county executive to be a statesman, to reach out to different members or groups of members that are opposed to him on any given issue and try to find common ground when it's possible. Uh, had Mr. Stanger done that, maybe things would not have been as rancorous. But I don't know that, that uh, County Executive Page will do that. But certainly I think that's the way a statesman would go about it, is to say, all right, um, here we are. Is there common ground? Let's have a conversation. Sometimes, sometimes you reach it, sometimes you won't. Hopefully we'll have that kind of opportunity. But that also is a double-edged sword. You have to have people on the legislative side that are willing to communicate. And right now, we don't see much of that. My final question for you is on the campaign ahead. The 6th District, as you know, is a very competitive district. I think you won your election in 2016 by, what, 1.5%, 1%? Something like that, yeah. So... I think this could be a close race again, and some of it may be how that district votes in the presidential or gubernatorial race. I agree with uh, you. But like, how do you kind of foresee the political dynamics? Like, what do you think is going to power you to a second term, given that this seat does seem to switch between Republicans and Democrats mm -hmm. a lot? I, again, I'll point to my record. Okay, um, I don't think um, many people will deny that um, the ethics committee was integral in bringing down a corrupt county executive. It's my honor to have chaired that and to have worked uh, to coordinate the effort so that we were able to uncover evidence that ultimately uh, um, got the council to vote to refer the matter to the U.S. Attorney's Office and the rest we all know about. 
again, my record with respect to problem properties, my record with respect to development, right? contrary to whatever Mr. Burns says, the record speaks for itself. Um, my record with respect to being there for constituent needs. And I think people know that. And so I'm reasonably optimistic that it will be based on my record and, and the fact that I've done a good job. And, and I think most people would say if he's done a good job, let's send him back to keep doing it. Well, thank you very much for your time, Councilman. As we mentioned several times, if you want to listen to the show with Councilman Trigas's opponent, State Representative Bob Burns, it is on our website at stlpublicradio.org because we want to make sure the 6th District residents have robust senses of who both of the candidates are. For all of our stories, stlpublicradio.org. Follow me on Twitter at Jay Rosenbaum. How can people follow you on Twitter? I'm at R. Lipman. That's two P's as in Peter, two N's as in Nancy. And how can people find out more about your campaign or follow you on any social media conduit? I have a website, ErnieTrakis.com, and I'm on a Twitter account that I think is at Ernie Trakis. Yes, it is. And uh, so they can follow me there. Um, I also have a Facebook page. Uh, so um, I welcome any comments. Uh, and most of the time I get back to folks pretty quickly. And um, like I said, uh, I think my record shows that I'm responsive to constituent needs. Thank you very much. And until next time, so long. There ain't no easy way out Hey, I will stand my ground And I won't back down Well, I know 